Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast. I'm John, and today I'm going to be talking about some of the advanced preview PDFs for the advanced fantasy options of Old School Essentials. Okay, so just in case you're not aware of what Old School Essentials is... It's the sort of second iteration of the the game that was originally called BX Essentials, which is a faithful reproduction of BX or Basic Expert D&D. Old School Essentials was created by Gavin Norman of Necrotic Gnome. And after doing a very successful Kickstarter with the core fantasy set for Old School Essentials, which, as I say, was the faithful reproduction of BX, there were a couple of advanced fantasy books released. One which had like class details in, extra races, and stuff like that, which was the advanced fantasy genre rules. And also there was a book release which was Druid and Illusionist Spells, providing spell lists and descriptions for two of the new advanced fantasy classes. And the idea of these advanced fantasy books was that they were going to take some of the slightly more complex options from AD&D and sort of retrofit them for the elegant simplicity of basic D&D. Now, Gavin Norman and Necrotic Gnome in conjunction with Exalted Funeral, have just run a second Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is to produce an additional two advanced fantasy books, one which contains lots of new additional monsters, and the other which contains some treasures. I've been lucky enough to be able to help do a little bit of proofreading on the treasures book. I backed this on Kickstarter, and one of the additional bonuses is that there are also a couple of tomes available, so compiled rule sets. One is the Player's Tome, which has all the basic and advanced fantasy stuff that should be player-facing in it, and the other is the GM's Tome, which, as you might expect, has all the basic and advanced fantasy details in it that the GM requires to run the game, so the monsters and stuff like that. Now, I was hoping to do a a podcast episode on this at the weekend, but unfortunately, I know the term Gavin was planning to send out some sort of uh, pre-release PDFs so that people who had backed the Kickstarter, which is now finished, could get a bit of a taste of what they'd be expecting when the final books came through. And I should just point out that this Kickstarter like, absolutely smashed its targets. It fairly annihilated them, and there's a whole bevy of stretch goals that got added. But if you missed it, don't worry. After the, the Kickstarter stuff's been sent out, these will definitely be available for purchase. Now, Gavin managed to sort out the issues with the the pre-release files and send them out. And I'd just like to say thank you very much for that, Gavin. It's been great to get an advanced look at these. Like I said, I hope to record something about them over the weekend. And I did check with Gavin that he was all right with me doing this, and he said it was fine. But just to make it clear, what I'm talking about now in this episode are pre-release preview pdfs so there is a possibility there may be some sort of small little changes and tweaks before they go into publication so with that said i'm first of all going to start having a look through the players tome which i've got to the pdf of here the cover art's been done on the standard version 
by Peter Mullen and on the collector's edition by Andrew Walter and that both pictures look absolutely great one of the uh, sort of kickstarter stretch goals for the the non-limited edition standard versions was to get like gold foil put on the titles I think that's a kickstarter exclusive but that stretch goal was met so I'm looking forward to getting those so if I page through into the table of contents, we have an introduction, we have a player character section, which tells you about classes. It splits off the, the basic sort of character stuff into basic and advanced sections, your ability scores, your alignment. There's optional rules for weapon proficiency and secondary skills. And it also talks about languages. We then go on to split down the character classes containing the basic fantasy classes, which we'll all be familiar with, cleric, etc., and some advanced options. So I'm just going to quickly go through those now. There is acrobat, assassin, barbarian, bard, cleric, drow, druid, durgar, dwarf, elf, fighter, gnome, half-elf, halfling, half-orc, illusionist, knight, magic user, paladin, ranger, smurf neblin, and thief. We also get a section which talks particularly about character races and this is because one of the advanced options is you can split out the, the sort of race as class thing if that's not really your vibe the basic rules assume that you'll be using race as class so you don't go oh i'm going to play a dwarf fighter you just go i'm, I'm a level three dwarf or whatever if that's not particularly your vibe, I know that sort of more modern games have moved away from that, then there are optional rules in here where you can split the races down and you get details of the sort of ability modifiers and stuff like that for the various character races. There's then a section on advancement talking about experience, wealth and hirelings. We get some equipment in the next section. Vehicles and mounts, of course, spells for clerics, druids, illusionists and magic users. We get a section on adventuring where it talks about the party organization, uh, time, weight, and movement, saving throws, damage, healing, and death, dungeon wilderness and waterborne adventuring, encounters, evasion and pursuit, combat, morale, and a collection of combat tables. We get a small section after that on hired helps of retainers, mercenaries, etc. A bit on constructing and maintaining a stronghold and then we get an index of tables and an index of spells so that's the brief rundown i'm just going to like quickly page through this now and i'm not going to highlight everything because this is a, a hefty old tome it's nearly 250 pages of gaming goodness in there so i'm just going to page through it and highlight a few things that particularly jump out to me so here we go We get a nice bit of terminology at the start, you know, all the stuff and an introduction, all the stuff that you'll be familiar with if you sort of do RPGs. But, you know, if you're picking this up as your first game or because someone's trying to get you into the hobby, it's always handy to have that sort of basic information there so everyone can start off on the same footing. There's a brief description of what's in the book and also explaining that this book is a compilation of the core rules and character options of the Old School Essentials classic fantasy game plus the advanced fantasy genre rules and advanced fantasy druid and illusionist spell supplements. You can get all of these books separately as like little sort of individual books but this is the tome, one of two compiled tomes bringing it all together in case you prefer that hefty sort of look 
two book feel. Okay. We've got a lovely piece of interior artwork there on page 10 and 11 showing the a sort of party of adventurers sort of like shadowy behind them and then looking at this sort of pinkish light coming out of these catacombs and what looks like wax or I suspect some sort of ooze is dribbling down the walls looks extremely unpleasant but the artwork is absolutely beautiful okay so we move on to the player characters section it's breaking down the game stats for you you know like the ability scores your clash your ratio level your prime requisite uh, ability score your alignment your hit points all of that stuff that we're all familiar with from D&D also in here there's the ascending AC optional rule the the sort of default of old school essentials staying faithful to older D&D is to use descending armor class or Thaco as some people know it I personally don't have a problem with Thaco I think it's fairly easy to work out and you can always copy the table down onto your character sheet if you don't want to do that bit of working out however I personally do find ascending AC just a little bit more intuitive and easier to explain to people so I like to see the optional role in there and to be honest I use it in my game in the character creation options we get a bit of a breakdown which gives you a couple of methods of doing character creation there's the basic character creation where your primary abilities are determined by a single factor your character class uh, the character class also obviously determines your race using this basic option or there's the advanced character creation method which as i said earlier separates out race and class and also sort of opens up the idea of multi-classing if you want to do that and there's a page of sort of optional rules talking about how that can be accomplished and one of the things i like to see is that gavin doesn't really sort of push one of these methods over the other he makes it very clear that it's not a case of what one of these methods is good one of them is bad it's just what's right for your group and he takes the time to list out a few pros and cons of each method which i think is a really nice thing to see we then get a sort of breakdown of making a character using the basic method and it's a simple sort of stage process where you just follow the steps through from roll ability scores choose class adjust ability scores note your modifiers note attack values note saving throws and class abilities roll your hit points choose an alignment note down known languages buy equipment note your armor class note your level and the xp if you're using secondary skills which are an optional rule note that down and finally pick a name for your character and you are pretty much good to rock and roll my friend we then get another breakdown a nice double page spread i know one of the things i love about old school essentials is this idea that you have a double page spread which has all of your all of the information you need for that particular subject on it i think that's a really great idea and i've certainly taken inspiration from that for the layouts of my own stuff that i've been producing recently the advanced method of character creation is very similar save that obviously you're now choosing a race and like multi-classing is an option for you 
We then go on to see the breakdown of the different ability scores, strength, intelligence, wisdom, dex, constitution, and charisma. Talks a little bit about the prime requisite score, which, depending on what your class is, gives you a bit of an XP bonus. We have that on one page. On the facing page are all the modifiers and little bits and pieces you need connected with your stats. So again, sticking to that whole double page spread idea, which I like so much. We get a page on alignment. We get an optional rule for weapon proficiency. Now, normally, in sort of standard OSE, uh, the weapons you can use are determined by your class. So, you know, two fighters will be able to use the same types of weapon. However, this optional rule allows you to further sort of differentiate between characters by sort of limiting the weapons that they're trained to use. So if you use this optional rule, each character is proficient with a limited number of types of weapon. If you're using a weapon that you're not proficient with, then you get a penalty to your attack roll, depending on whether you're from a martial class, a semi-martial class, so you're a bit fighter, but it's not the main thrust of your class, or you're a non-martial class, like a mage or something like that. We then get the secondary skills optional rule I mentioned earlier, which is pretty much a list of professions. You can choose one of them, and that's what you did before you became an adventurer. So it's like butcher, carpenter, cooper, farmer, that sort of stuff. And it's it's down to a bit of gem theater style, like how that affects the game. But it, it allows you to do things like assess the value and quality of items associated with the skill, make minor repairs to such items, or construct simple items associated with your skill. So for instance, if you take Map Maker, you can repair maps and you can make maps. You could also look at a map you'd bought and assess like whether it was kosher or whether it was a forgery and roughly how much it's worth. Oh, we've then got another lovely double page set of artwork on page 26 and 27 showing some adventurers going towards a sunken fortress has a sort of bit of a, like a whimsical sort of like fairy tale almost like cartoony vibe to it but i think it works really well and although it's full color and it's not the sort of black and white of the older dnd the sort of the way it's drawn really did put me in mind of the older sort of artwork we then go on to the character classes, and I'm not going to go into all of them here because there's quite a lot of them. All the classic ones, your fighter, your cleric, your mage, your thief, all of those are there. But you get some extra ones, as we mentioned earlier, you know, like the acrobat, the half-orc, the assassin, the barbarian, stuff like that. And most of them have a few sort of little skills and little tricks. Nothing as sort of complicated as they become in later editions of D&D, but just nice little things that like give your character like a little bit of flavour. So, for instance, if we look at, just as an example, if we look at the Barbarian, they gain Agile Fighting, so they get sort of AC bonuses at certain levels because they're used to running around and sort of jumping off things. They get a certain number of skills that they can use in the wilderness, like climbing sheer surfaces, hiding in the undergrowth, and moving silently. They can use all types of weapons. If they're in the wilderness, they can gather herbs to concoct antidotes to natural poisons. However, they're unfortunately mistrustful of magic and they'll refuse to knowingly use or come under the influence of spells or magic. However, they do accept divine magic associated with their particular religion. They get a bonus to foraging and hunting when in the wilderness. And a barbarian of fourth level or higher is able to hit monsters that can normally only be harmed by magic, which is 
a bit of a must if you're like a person who's going to be issuing the use of magic items. After you reach 8th level, you can call on your native people to form a great horde of warriors, numbering 250 per level above 7th. The warriors are first level fighters with basic combat gear and can be mounted if that's customary for your culture. So that's, you know, the equivalent of sort of the fighter like building his stronghold and stuff like that. One thing I did notice is in the in the sort of a section where it's talking about splitting race from class in the sort of elf write up there's a very striking picture of like two sort of figures wrestling one of them the one you, whose face you can see is obviously of elven origin and is lifting like a curved sword ready to stab it down and i'm sure i've seen that picture before maybe in a, a previous old school essentials book but the reason i remember it is because it's like it really is one of my favorite pictures it's very dynamic black and white no nonsense but absolutely love it so that's on page 82 of the preview file anyone out there listening to this who's got the preview files as well if you know where this artwork comes from let me know because like i say i absolutely love that piece of artwork we then go on to talk about advancement and obviously it's talking about xp and how you level up and what the the maximum amount of xp you can get in a session effectively you can't advance any more than a level per session any additional XP that would take you two or more levels above your current level are lost, leaving you at one XP below the total for the next level. There's a bit about uh, level titles, where it's talking about how in some versions of D&D, as you go up to certain levels, you get titles. So for a fighter, you might get the title of like veteran, warrior, swordmaster, etc. And OSE doesn't try and tell you when you should use those titles, but it presents examples for all of the different classes in case you want to work that into your game. The section on wealth tells us about money and how the currency denominations break down. It's nothing um, remarkable for anyone who knows the standard D&D currency. Effectively, one platinum piece is worth five gold pieces. Two Electrum pieces is worth one gold piece, ten silver pieces is worth one gold piece, and ten copper pieces is worth one gold piece. There's a, you start off with 3d6 times 10 gold pieces. There's a nice bit about leaving an inheritance, like willing some of your wealth to your next character if your current one unfortunately dies, which might help to take the edge off for some people. There's a little bit about hirelings. It's making the distinction between mercenaries or like hired soldiers who don't join the adventuring party when they go into dungeons and whatnot. But, you know, they can guard your camp, they can patrol and serve in a wilderness setting. Specialists are hired individuals who have a particular trade or special knowledge. So like your sages and people like that. We get an equipment section, which gives you a very simple sort of basic list of equipment and then moves straight into weapons and armor. And obviously it offers sort of AC for both ascending and descending AC. We get a section on poison, which is important because the assassin class tends to make use of them. And it breaks um, poisons down into two types, bloodstream poisons and ingested poisons. There are four types 
type 1 to 4 bloodstream poisons and five types of ingested poisons each of which have a different chance of detection a different onset time and a different effect depending on whether you save or fail at the poison save so for instance if you slipped on a type 5 ingested poison each dose costing about a thousand gold pieces they have a zero percent chance of detection the onset time is 1d4 turns then after the 1d4 turns they make their poison save if they succeed they take 30 points of damage but assuming the damage doesn't kill them they're still alive if they fail their save they are dead that is it so poisons certainly the more expensive ones can be pretty brutal we go on to talking about vehicles and mounts which gives you sort of like stat breakdowns for various vehicles carts wagons etc and you get some statistic for animals of burden such as camels draft horses mules riding horses war horses etc we also get a section on water vessels telling you all about how that how much various boats cost they're split into two types of ship there is the seaworthy vessel which you know you can sail away from the coast and go out into the oceans with minimal force and there's unseaworthy vessels where if you're on a river or you're like you're within sight of the coast it's probably grand if you move away from it things are going to start getting a little bit dicey for you and again we've got all these beautiful sort of full color two page artwork spreads on page 108 and 109 which shows your typical sort of white haired elements to star or wizard in a rowboat although he seems to be doing the rowing and there's a cheeky looking chappy with a spear stood at the prow of the boat and they're navigating their way through the wreckage of a ship perhaps a ship that they abandoned in the small sort of boat they're in and you can see the coils and the head of some sort of tremendous sea serpent in the background it has a slightly sort of muted color palette to it but it is an absolutely beautiful piece of work we go on to a section about magic where it breaks down for you how you memorize spells and how you cast them you know explains the difference between arcane magic and divine magic and talks a little bit about turning the undead obviously a very important clerical ability we get a small subsection on spell books where it talks about how many spells they can contain um, how arcane you magic users can add spells to their spell book there's also an optional rule called advanced spell book rules where it says there's no limit to the number of spells in the character's spell book Arcane spellcasters begin with a number of spells in their spellbook determined by their intelligence score. The referee may choose these or allow the player to select. If you want to add spells, an arcane spellcaster can add them at any time by either copying them from another book or researching them as a table, showing you the chance of copying a spell of a particular level. Obviously, it talks about the cost of replacing a lost spellbook and stuff like that. Although it does specify that each arcane spellcaster's spellbook is written so that only the owner is able to read it without the use of magic. So it actually makes the read magic spell somewhat useful. There's a section on magical research, and then we go straight into the spell list. First of all, we get a sort of breakdown of them, just showing the names and what levels they're at for the clerics, druids, illusionists, and magic users another nice piece of artwork and then we go into the actual spell descriptions themselves which have a nice little bit of detail in but they're not sort of too lengthy or too sort of overblown 
each spell is broken down by the the name the duration the range you get a little bit of a description then there's like normally three to four bullet points underneath which specify any sort of peculiar restrictions or any sort of odd sort of side effects that you can get from spells after the spells we get into the adventuring section where it talks about party organization saying that the ideal size of a group is between six and eight characters uh, it also says it's why so have a mix of different classes and talks a little bit about how if you bring new people in you know how you can handle the sort of level disparity it's recommended according to the book that if you're going to have characters more than four levels apart they should adventure separately to sort of build themselves up a little bit or i suppose as i'd probably do you could just have someone start off at the same level as the lowest person in the existing party it talks a bit about marching order having a call you know someone who acts as a spokesperson for the party which is something i love that seems to have been like phased out of later versions of DD. talks about having someone as a mapper and someone as a sort of quartermaster who divides the treasure and we have a person who does that in our game thanks very much rob we go on to a section about tracking time movement in rounds and turns etc there's optional rules for encumbrance we then get rules for ability checks and saving throws, damage, health, healing and death. The, the standard rules are that if you're reduced to zero hit points or less, you're killed. I mean, obviously you can tweet that if you want, but they're sort of out by the book rules. In terms of healing, for each full day of complete rest, a character or monster gets 1d3 hit points back. And obviously you can also use magic to heal people. If a character is killed by a destructive spell, their equipment's assumed to be destroyed. Magic items in their possession might get a save if they're lucky to survive destruction. There's also some optional rules on sort of returning from death, i.e. resurrection, and your chances of survival, depending on whether you choose to include that in your game or not. We get a section on hazards and challenges, so like climbing, moving in darkness, falling damage, losing direction when you're in the wilderness, starvation, swimming, wandering monsters, etc. We then get a section for what the players might have to deal with on dungeon adventuring, so secret doors, locked doors, stuck doors, listening at doors, movement in a dungeon setting, how often you need to rest and what penalties you take if you don't searching dungeons for traps secret doors etc how triggered traps can affect you and a little bit about wandering monsters although i'm assuming there'll be more about this in the gm tome we get a similar thing for wilderness adventuring presenting the player facing mechanics related to that likewise for waterborne adventuring and we get a little bit about encounters so giving the standard encounter sequence you roll surprise you check to determine how far away the monsters are you roll initiative then you alternate taking your actions and once everyone's taken an action that turn has passed and you go back to the start of the sequence i really love this i like the fact there's a distinct sequence in here for every stage of the game that you can literally if especially if you're a new gm but even for like people who've been jamming for ages like me i love just having a sequence there which you can follow and if you stick to it to be honest you're probably not going to go far wrong and later on when you're more comfortable you can start elaborating on that tinkering it with it a bit getting it to suit your own particular needs we get a section on evasion and pursuit 
we move on to some more details about combat so how to make attack rolls whether it's melee or missile attacks how to roll for initiative how spellcasting works in the middle of a combat we get a double page spread talking about other potential combat issues so attacking from behind there's an optional rule for attacking with two weapons because you know players love that blindness bombing people so flying creatures dropping rocks on them there's optional rules for charging into melee invulnerabilities making missile attacks on targets in melee uh, rules for paralyzed opponents parrying spacing but you name it it's in this double page spread very useful there's a section on morale which i really love uh, essentially each monster in the osc monster books has a morale score from 2 to 12 if it's got a morale score of 2 it means it almost never fights and will run away unless they're forced to they can't go anywhere if it's got a morale score of 12 that means it's going to fight to the death until it's killed when the referee has to make a morale roll they roll 2d6 and compare the result against the monster's morale score if they get higher than the morale score then the monster surrenders or attempts to flee. If it's equal to or lower than the morale score, the monster will continue to fight. If a monster makes two successful morale checks in an encounter, it fights until killed with no further checks necessary. It also gives you some advice on when to check morale. So normally, like the first time one of a monster's group is killed, or when they lose half their number, although I like to throw in there as well, you know, like if they have like an obvious leader or like a boss, if they're killed as well, I like to make a morale check as well. There's some talk about situational adjustments and how morale can apply to mercenaries that are in the player's employ and also retainers. We then get some combat tables which list the attack probabilities for all monsters and characters and the saving throw values used by monsters and normal humans. So very handy as reference material. We then get a double page spread talking about mercenaries, hired soldiers who guard, patrol and otherwise serve in wilderness settings, how you locate them, what sort of wages you need to pay, what the upkeep is and what sort of mercenaries you can get. And this ranges from archers to crossbowmen, longbowmen, horsemen and even if you want to hire some like uh, green skins like goblins and whatnot you can even get some wolf riders although don't tell anyone I told you. We get a double page spread on specialists, which tells you how you hire them, what services they can provide, and this covers everything from alchemists, animal trainers and armourers, up to sailors, ships, captains and spies. Again, there's another absolutely beautiful piece of artwork on page 236 and 237, which shows a priestess in front of a sort of grotesque, almost Cthulhu-like statue, and she's standing in a pool and tipping some sort of water out of what looks like a golden vessel before the statue. Again, beautiful piece of work. We then move on to a section on strongholds, talking about how you can construct a stronghold, how much it's going to cost, etc. Getting permission from your local lord, stuff like that. We then segue into domain management, so keeping your lands clear of monsters, attracting settlers maybe squeezing them for a little bit of that sweet sweet tax money we get details on how much various structures from 
barbicans to drawbridges to keeps to moats how much all of that costs uh, how much sections of walls and extra little bits and pieces cost so effectively you can use these lists to just put together your dream stronghold and go this is how much it's going to cost me and this is how long it's probably going to take to build so that's a nice little thing there and after that we go straight into the indexes we get an index of tables an index of spells and then we get the open game license and the back cover so this episode's turned out to be a little bit longer than i expected so i think what i'll do is i will cover the referees tome in a future episode but as so that's been my sort of brief look through the the pre-release advanced pdf the old school essentials advanced fantasy players tone thank you very much to gavin norman of necrotic gnome for sending out the advanced pdfs to all of the people who backed the kickstarter anyone who's listening to this if you're interested in sort of osc or sort of bxdnd i highly advise you to give it a look but please bear in mind as i said at the start that this is a pre-release preview pdf and there may be some slight changes before it goes to publication. So if you want to get in touch, maybe you want to talk about something you've noticed in OSC or how you've been playing it yourself. Like I say, I'm running a campaign at the minute. Then you can leave us a message on SpeakPipe. There's a link in the description of this show. Or you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe and keep gaming. 